there's a phrase that, uh, that's kind of gripped me actually for a number of years. And, um, and I continue to this day to repeat it and, and remind myself of it. And it's simply this, don't be afraid, keep on believing. Don't be afraid, keep on believing. And no, for all of you 70s and 80s music fans, it is not inspired by Journey's song, Don't Stop Believing. Even though every time I say that phrase, out of Heather's mouth comes the song, you know. Um, but that's not actually what has inspired this saying. But actually, I have a note in my Bible that I carry around with me uh, to remind me of, of that phrase. And uh, can we just say that together? Don't be afraid, keep on believing. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and, and tell them this. Don't be afraid, keep on believing. Now that person on the other side maybe didn't hear anything, so they'll go over there. Don't be afraid, keep on believing. All right, yeah. <laughs> so early this summer, um, we've been doing a series uh, from Isaiah, and I'm actually not going to continue that series even though I've I stole the graphics from it, but, uh, um, but I do want to pick up where Pastor Darcy left off two weeks ago, and that was in Isaiah 53. And we're not going to go into it, but kind of just use it as a, as a launching pad for where we're going this morning. But um, Pastor Darcy delved into this passage, and, and if you weren't here two weeks ago, you can listen to it online uh, on our YouTube channel or on the website. But he reminded us, uh, as, as we walked through that passage, that Jesus died because he wanted to do something about the sin and iniquity that you and I carry. And that twistedness in our souls, as he talked about, that happens with sin. And Jesus died to, to, to take care of that, to free us from that, and to straighten up our souls, so to speak. And the verse 5, it says, But he was purest for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. And I won't re-preach the message, but it's just this idea of, of Jesus went through what he did for our sin, for our rebellion. And it continues the last half of that verse is, He was beaten so we can be whole. He was whipped so we can be healed. You see, what Jesus went through was for us, was for our healing, was for our wholeness. There's this unique connection between the sickness in our souls and the sickness in our bodies. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's here in this, in this verse, uh, Bill Johnson, um, who I, I just love his, his, his writings. He says, what sin is to the soul? sickness is to the body. What sin is to the soul, sickness is to the body. And this connection shows up several places in Scripture. You look in, in Psalm, uh, it's here obviously in, in Isaiah 53, but in Psalm 103 it says, He forgives all of our sins and He heals all of our diseases. He, there's this connection between the sin in our souls and the sickness in our bodies. In the announcement of, of Joseph, to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, that the angel was instructing him to take Mary to be his wife. And the angel says this, She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And if you look at this word save, it comes from the Greek word sozo, and some of you know this, but it, this word sozo includes both being saved, healed, and delivered. Amen. It's those three in one. It's not just the salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of sin, but it actually involves healing and deliverance as well, this idea of sozo. I know there's many different uh, views, ways of looking at this, many different views uh, theologically, and, and I know there'll be many who would not agree with me. And how I view this really doesn't answer all the questions. There's still questions to be, to be answered. However, I believe that Jesus' death 
has made provision for the forgiveness and cleansing of the sin in our souls and the healing of our sicknesses and diseases in our bodies. The death of Jesus has provided for it all. It's made provision for us to experience that. Healing, signs, wonders, miracles. All of these things are actually, Jesus talks about, indicators that the kingdom of God is here among us. When those things happen, we realize, oh, there is a greater kingdom, and God is the God of that kingdom. And so when we see things like miracles, signs, and wonders, uh, we realize that the kingdom of God is here. How many have a desire in your heart to see more miracles and, and signs and wonders? Amen? I know, yeah. There is a desire there. How many here this morning need to experience a healing or a miracle? You need to experience healing or miracle. Okay, good. I say good in the sense that I believe this morning Jesus has something for you. And we're going to get there uh, at the end here. Um, are there any, and I should have checked this out, but are there any 12-year-old girls still in this room right now? Are they all gone? All right, any 13-year-old, any, any young girls here? Any girls that age who would be willing to volunteer? <laughs> Just to ask, answer some questions. Any? You got up here? Thank you, yes. I don't know, I don't have a microphone here. Do we, can we use this microphone? Is that going to mess you up? You've been up here already this morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. What's your name? Anissa. Anissa. Everybody say hi, Anissa. Hi. And how old are you, Anissa? Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay, so you're one year older than, than, uh, than 12, obviously. That's... <laughs> Just step over here, Anissa. Um, so what grade are you going into? Uh, grade nine. Grade nine? Grade nine? You're too young to go into grade nine. Wow, that's awesome. Grade nine. So are your parents here this morning? Uh, yeah. They're here, all right. Um, so what's your dream and ambition in life? What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, Any ideas? Not, don't know yet? All right, okay, well, that's uh, something to explore. Well, Anissa, actually, I, I just brought you up here just to give everybody an idea of what a 13-year-old girl looks like. Because, <laughs> you know, some of us forget. And you're way too tall for a 13-year-old. You're way too old. Uh, you're going into too high a grade for a 13-year-old, in my opinion. So I need to be reminded of, of what a, a, a 13-year-old looks like. Now, imagine if Anissa was, was really sick. Just stay there for a, a second, Anissa. Imagine if Anissa was really sick. Imagine if she was so sick that there was a threat of her dying. Now, how many of you have had uh, daughters uh, in your life? All right. So at one time, unless they're not there yet, they were 12 years old, 13 years old. I've had three daughters, and I know when my daughter was this age, uh, and they were in that, in that place, what would you do to try and, and save them? You'd go to any lengths possible, wouldn't you, to, to try and help your, your sick and, and, and dying daughter. Anissa, I don't know if you like these or not, but they're yours, and you can share them with your friends or you don't have to. Can we give her a big hand? Thank you for... for... So just with this idea of this, how old Anissa is, 
Jesus had an encounter with a, with a dad in, in this exact scenario. And in Mark chapter 5, it tells us that, that Jesus was, was visiting the north side of the Lake of Galilee. And it, it tells of this wild encounter he had with this, this crazy demonic man. And some of you may be familiar with the story, but uh, Jesus ended up commanding, this, this man had a legion of demons living in him. And Jesus commanded these demons to, to leave, and these demons asked to go into this uh, herd of 2,000 pigs. I can't even imagine that, but 2,000 pigs, and these pigs went crazy and wild, and they all ran down the slope, jumped in the water, and drowned. It's just a crazy story. So the people in that area were like, this is too much. But, but the wonderful thing about this is that man who had a legion of demons with him was completely set free. He was delivered. He was transformed. But the people looking at this and what happened to the pigs, they actually pleaded with Jesus, can you just, just go? Just go back to where you came from, you know? Uh, we don't, we don't uh, want you around here any longer. This is too much for us. And so that's what Jesus did. He got back in the boat, went back across the lake. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And it says this, When Jesus went back across the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. A leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jerus, and I don't pronounce that right, but we're just going to call him Jerus this morning, all right? Came and he fell down before him, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. She is about to die, he said in desperation. Please come and place your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him. Jesus went with him. I'm sure as a leader in the community, as a leader in the synagogue, he was probably one of the most influential and important people in his community, Jerus. And I'm sure it would not have been easy for him to come, but he did. And not only did he come to ask Jesus, but he actually comes and, in some version it says, he throws himself down. Now, if you're a distinguished person, and this is not something that I see in our culture, <laughs> you don't walk down the street and see people throwing themselves down in front of other people, do you? But that's what happened. Jerus was, he was that desperate that his status, his, his position, what he carried in the community didn't matter to him. He wanted to humble himself because he wanted an answer for his daughter. And this is one of the most difficult things for any of us when we're in need, is to admit that we need help. To admit that we need something. And when it comes to Jesus, there is forgiveness for our sins. But it takes a humbling of ourselves to realize that we need forgiveness. It takes a, re, a, a humbling to, to realize that I, I need saving. That I can't save myself. Regardless of how much I have it together or how much it looks like I have together I don't have enough, and I need help. And that's, there's, a, there's a humility that needs to come. There's a humbling that needs to come. And it works the same in salvation as it does for healing. A, an admission of need. And this is what Jairus does. He was desperate. And it goes on and it says, Jesus went with him. And the crowd thronged behind. And there was a woman in the crowd who had had a hemorrhage for, for 12 years. Now I just, I find this interesting. That here we have this 12-year-old girl who is on her deathbed. And in the exact same story, we have this woman who for the exact amount of time, same amount of time 
has been struggling with a, a, a bleeding disorder for 12 years. 12 years. And, uh, you know, there's some significance to that. We're not going to get into that this morning. But I just find this interesting that they're both 12 years. She had suffered a great deal, as said, from many doctors through the years and had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she was worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothing, I'll be healed. Immediately as she did that, the bleeding stopped and she could feel that she had been healed. Wow. Has anybody experienced that? I mean, not necessarily the the bleeding disorder, but have you experienced an immediate healing like that where you know that you've been been healed? Has anybody experienced that? Just, Just lift up your hand. All right, just hold them up for a second. Can everybody just look around? In this room, it is amazing to me how many are holding up their hands. You've experienced a miracle like this, an immediate miracle where you know things have changed. Now, sometimes miracles happen in other ways. You know, it it takes time. Or you need to go to the doctor to confirm because there's nothing you can tell if it's changed or not. Whatever it was, this woman knew immediately that she was healed. Wow. And uh, Jesus realized at once it says that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And of course, the crowd is pressing in, and his disciples said to him, well, Jesus, like, everybody's touching your clothes. It's crowded in here. Like, so how can you ask who, who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, and we won't, again, take time to go into that, but trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and she too fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have been healed. Your suffering is over. Wow. Wow. Now, this woman's story is incredible in and of itself, and, and, there, and there's so much in here. But for some reason, it happens right in the middle of Jerusha's story. <laughs> it's like this parenthesis. It's like this, this interruption. And can you put your, your uh, feet in the shoes of Jerus this morning? He's gone to Jesus, said, can you come? I've got a dying daughter. Can you come? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come, and starts going. And then there's this interruption, and Jairus is standing there. And the clock is ticking. And Jesus is like, who touched me? And it's taking time. And if I'm Jairus, I'm saying, let's, yeah, let's, okay, that's great, but my daughter. Don't forget about my daughter. Can you imagine being Gerald's in that moment? This would have been a huge distraction and, and the pressure I think inside of him would have just been, been growing and growing and growing and then all of a sudden it explodes. Why? Because a messenger comes. As Jesus is talking to the woman, Messengers arrive from Jerusalem's home with this message. Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother? There's this delay when Jesus heals and this news comes, and I, I can't even imagine the response that Jerus would have had at that moment. I'm sure all the air in his lungs left him. I'm sure it felt like a knife that stabbed him in the heart. What? The finality. Why Why bother anymore? Why bother anymore? 
Have you heard that question? Have you heard that question? Why bother anymore? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've said that to yourself. Why bother anymore? When circumstances and and feelings and even facts overwhelm you, it's easy to lose faith. It's easy to get pulled away from from that moment of, of faith, that meeting in the doctor's office. When the news comes, you have cancer. I haven't experienced that, but I know many who have. And it must be like this moment. Maybe you've had some people pray for you and you've given up. Maybe you've responded, come after, after services so many times and nothing seems to change and so you just don't bother responding anymore. Why bother anymore? Maybe some well-meaning person come along and say, well, and they're just trying to help. They're just trying to give you an answer. And they say, well, maybe, maybe God just wants you to bear this. And there's some truth to that. But how do you respond to that? Maybe, again, some well-meaning people have told you you don't have enough faith. Why bother anymore? And this to me is one of the the greatest responses that I've seen. And one version said, Jesus overheard. Another version says, Jesus ignored. Jesus ignored the comments that the messenger came And he says to Jerus, and here it is, don't be afraid. Just trust me. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. I want to talk to all of us as as a church who know other people who are sick and in need of a miracle. If, if they ask you for prayer, that is their expression of faith. Just them asking someone else to pray for them is the same as Jerus coming to Jesus and saying, can you come? It's the same thing. When somebody asks you for prayer, that is their expression of faith. There is faith there. When when a person is diagnosed with a disease or illness, I would think the number one battle for that person is probably fear. And I believe it's our job as the body of Christ to contribute to the person winning the battle with fear. And not in how we respond and how we interact with the person to add any way to the fear that they're experiencing. We need to follow Jesus' example. We help them towards their healing. We encourage their faith. We strengthen their faith, even if it's tiny. And when I read this, I, 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 I see this happen. I, I saw this happen. It's like Jesus gets right up into Jairus' faith, looks him directly in the eye and says, don't be afraid, keep on believing. And that's actually the, the better translation, what it literally means is keep on believing. Jairus, keep on believing. You believed. I believe Jesus is getting right up into his face and he's saying, Jairus, you had faith when you came to me. You had faith when you came to me. That's why you came in the first place. You knew who to turn to. You came to the right person. 
You've seen this woman be healed right before your very eyes. Don't let this news move you. Don't let this news rock you. Yeah, it's facts. But trust me. Stay. Keep on believing. Stay in that place of faith. Trusting me. Look at me, Jerus. Look at me. I just see Jesus, Jesus doing that. Don't be afraid. Keep trusting me. We are in a battle with fear. All of us at certain times in our lives are, it's probably one of the most common battles that we will face is this battle with fear. And we're not to give up. Fear is not a value in the kingdom of God. Fear is actually in the currency of the kingdom of darkness. And the currency in the kingdom of God is, is faith, is trust in him. And I like what Jack Hayford says about fear. How would you treat a friend who lied to you as often as your fears do? Isn't that a great line, Jack Hayford? What would you do with a friend who lied to you that many times? Go get another friend. <laughs> Not your friend anymore. Fear is cast out. Get out of my life. Get out of here. I've had enough of you lying to me. Get out. First John 4 actually says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And folks, I see Jesus... Just get an up into Jairus' face, into his space. And Jairus just experiencing that love that Jesus had for him, that love that Jesus had for his daughter that he hadn't even met. And it's that encounter with love that you realize, wow, and fear is gone. I can't live in that place of love. And folks, men and women, young people, as believers, that's what we need to align ourselves with. That's what the love that Jesus has for people. We need to step into that zone and agree with Jesus over people and communicate that love. Why? To cast out fear. So that their battle with fear is won. So that their fear is kicked out the door. And that's the power that we have as the body of Christ. That's the power that we have as a church over one another. Why do we get together Sunday after Sunday? Well, it's wonderful to get together and sing and praise and honor the Lord in that way. But another thing is to be in relationship and connection and encourage one another and kick fear out of each other's lives by loving one another, by agreeing with the love, the incredible love that Jesus has for each person, Jesus gets in Jairus' face and then he helps him walk in an environment of trust. Now watch this journey. Jesus stops the crowd in verse 37, it says, and won't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and the weeping and the wailing. He went inside and spoke to the people. Why all this weeping and commotion? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. I think if I was in that crowd, I would be with the crowd. What did the crowd do? They laughed. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They mocked him. Uh, who are you just showing up like this? She died a few months ago, and she's as dead as dead can be. She's not just asleep. We know. Why do you think we're mourning? Why do you think we're weeping? Why do you think we're wailing? Because this 12-year-old daughter is dead. 
And you say she's only asleep? And Jesus was not a good pastor at this moment. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) He clears the room. He told them all to go outside. He made them all leave. Another version, it says, actually, he put them out. (laughs) He put them out. Why? Because Jesus is creating this opportunity for Jairus Jairus, to continue to walk in faith and trust. He's continuing to do it. Can I ask for one more volunteer here this morning? How are we doing for time? We're doing pretty good. Uh, I'm asking for a dad. Uh, just to come up here, and I just, you don't have to say anything. You just have to put up with me for a few minutes. All right, Andy. Andy's got daughters. I'm sure you can relate with Jerusa's story. So glad but, I don't. <laughs> you guys are helpful. I just want to use you as an example of 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 seeing this story unfold. So Jerus comes to Jesus initially and says, my daughter's dying, would you come with me? And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come with you. And then the woman comes up and, and distracted. He gets the news, your daughter's dead. And immediately Jesus, I'm sorry, Andy, but I'm going to get uncomfortably close to you. He creates this barrier around him and says, Jairus, look at me. Keep looking at me. (laughs) You hear the news? That is fact. But trust me. Trust me. Just hold there. Okay, all you guys, none of you are coming with me. I know it's crowded around here. You're hanging out with us, but it's over. And oh, by the way, you nine disciples, sorry, you're with them. (laughs) I'm only taking Peter, James, and John. Just the four of us are going with this guy. Jervis, just keep keep hanging here, okay? (laughs) Don't listen. Don't believe. No, come with me. We're going to go to your house. Jairus, just come with me. Keep, keep watching me. Trust me. Okay? You came to me, Jesus is saying. You came to me initially. With faith in your heart, you knew that I was the answer to your daughter's sickness. Nothing's changed. Just keep trusting me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We get to the house... There's going to be some commotion. There's going to be some wailing. There's going to be some mockery, but just keep looking at me. You see, and Jesus just kind of creates this this bubble around Jairus. And what is he doing? He's giving Jairus an opportunity to stay in that place of faith and trusting in him. Jesus is creating the environment It's not about Jairus having enough faith. He already has faith. But in order for him to continue to embrace that, Jesus is creating the opportunity, the environment for him to stay there. Thanks, Andy. And you got some candy too. (laughs) As As I read that story... That's the picture I saw of what Jesus did to Jairus. You see, unbelief laughs at God's word when it stands in contradiction to facts that we observe. Faith sees beyond the facts to the truth of what's going on. And this is what I believe God is asking us as a church for the atmosphere of this church 
to become more and more is a place where we're creating opportunity for others to walk in faith and to keep their eyes on Jesus and not to get to that place of why bother anymore. You might as well give up. It's over. And that's the atmosphere that I believe God is asking us as a church to embrace and to exhibit an atmosphere where doubt and unbelief and mockery are put out the door. Where we, where trust in Jesus permeates the very atmosphere. Where it's like, wow, it's pretty hard to walk into this place <laughs> and doubt and fear. Now, this isn't simple. This is not easy. We can't just turn on a switch and make this happen because look at what happens here. Look at how many people in the crowd saw the miracle of the woman with the issue of blood. How many people saw that, observed that? But yet Jesus knew that that wasn't enough for them to continue on this journey. Even the nine disciples, and this so astounds me, nine disciples who just saw the woman healed as well. But how many other miracles did they just see? They just experienced this guy with, with a legion of demons be delivered. How many, how many healings, how many deliverances, how many miracles did they see? Nine of them. By far the majority had to stay. By far the majority were left behind. That's why this is not just something that we can decide and say, hey, let's just do this. It's not easy. It's not easy. And especially in a, in a, in a church this size, I mean, it doesn't really matter how big a church or how small a church. It doesn't matter. The majority probably are going to be in a different crowd than the three that went with Jesus to create this environment for Jerus to stay in that place of trusting in him. Jesus was, was very intentional. And can I ask you something this morning? Which crowd do you see yourself in? Are you a part of the Peter, James, and John, little three amigos? <laughs> Are you a part of that crowd? That Jesus says, yeah, I want you guys to come. Help me to continue to create this environment that Jerus can trust me. Or you were in the crowd left behind. One of the, even one of the nine disciples Or are you in the house laughing and mocking because what you're hearing and what you're seeing don't add up and the only thing you can do is say, well, that can't be true. This guy's a wingnut. <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with us even as Jerus pleaded with Jesus I'm pleading with us as a church. If we're going to be in the crowd of the three, it's going to take some work, some constant work, some consistent work. And I'm pleading with us this, this morning as a church in the environment and the culture we're living in, and I'm going to specifically say Facebook, but it's not just Facebook, it's social media in general. Be careful what you're saying, be careful what you're writing. Are you writing things that contribute to an atmosphere of faith and trust in Jesus? Or are you writing and repeating things that contribute to an atmosphere of fear? There's a lot of talk about fake news and I don't even know what fake news is. I don't really even understand it. But I think the one thing that it's getting at is that it's creating a society that lives off of fear. 
And that's okay for people who do not turn to the one who made the stars. That's okay for the person who doesn't bow at the feet of Jesus. But men and women, young people, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you as a church this morning, can we be very vigilant in our, in our consistent battle with creating an atmosphere to, to allow people to live in that place of trust and faith in Jesus? Because it'll stand in contrast. It'll stand in contrast to where our society is at right now, where our culture is at right now. What are you posting on Facebook? What are you posting in social media? Is it the facts or is it the truth of who Jesus is? Are you feeding fear in people's lives? Are you feeding faith? Hey, that was a pretty good quote. Are you feeding fear or feeding faith? (laughs) It's not easy. It's not easy. But folks, I'm pleading with us as a church this morning, we have an opportunity to step into and embrace and create an atmosphere in in this place, in, in in the place as, as, a, as a church in this community that will begin to shift the atmosphere, begin to shift what we see around us and allow people to embrace a faith and trust in Jesus and continue to walk in that. Five years ago in our church in, in Vegerville, there's a lady in her 60s who was diagnosed with cancer. She experienced that, sitting in a doctor's office and you have cancer. And she had her dark days, but God gave her such grace and faith as she walked that difficult battle of her treatment. She taught me so much in those months. And a lot of the basis of what I'm saying this morning is what I saw in her. She actually wrote a letter to the church through me, but it was to the church. And in that letter were specific scriptures of promise that she felt God had given with, to her. And she was asking us as a church to be like Jesus and stand with her and create this atmosphere around her as she went through this dark, dark valley to be able to continue to trust Jesus for her healing and her wholeness. Amen. She said, these are the scriptures. And so, of course, we did that. And she beat the odds and is giving honor and glory to Jesus to this day for the work of healing he did in her body. She understood. And she wanted, as she walked through the darkness of that moment, to have people around her that would speak words of life and encouragement and keep her in that place where she could continue to trust in Jesus. And that's what we're asked to do. She had faith in her heart. But what about sick people who don't have faith? And again, I love what Bill Johnson says about this. Whenever Jesus came across a situation where there was little faith or no faith, he would never leave the person there. He'd never leave the person there. In fact, sometimes he would give them the miracle in order to create a space for that person to actually ignite his faith in Jesus. Jesus say, okay, you're not believing, but that's okay. I'm going to show you something and give you the opportunity to trust me. And Jesus would point to somebody in the pit of no faith or little faith, and he wouldn't leave them there. He would put a ladder down into the pit and provide the person the opportunity to climb out of the pit of unbelief. That's what Jesus does. James 5.15, and another verse maybe you're familiar with, the prayer of faith heals the sick. Say the prayer of faith that the sick person has heals them? No, the prayer of faith. To me, I see that, and it's the, it's the faith of the prayer. Because <laughs> when you're sick, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's hard enough just to, just to breathe sometimes. Never mind to keep in that place of trust and faith in Jesus. But that's what we have opportunity as brothers and sisters around people to gather around them. And we're the ones with our faith to keep believing and trusting and sending those ladders down those pits of unbelief and saying, hey, crawl out, it's okay. Jesus, you can trust Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You see, pointing out someone's unbelief doesn't fix it. It doesn't resolve the issue. What builds faith? What creates faith? What are the ladders? Well, it's the stories. It's the testimonies. It's the scriptures. It's, it's what has God done in, in, in my life? What has he done in other people's life? And just keep reminding them the testimony, the experience. Bring the solution. Don't just stand on the problem. The only people that walked away from Jesus worse off than when they came are people who refused to surrender their lives to him and, and give their lives to the life that Jesus was pointing them to. Those are the only people that walked away from Jesus disappointed or worse off. Everybody else, regardless of how they came, with little or no faith, they always walked away with a ladder in their pit of unbelief, an opportunity to believe. None of us needs a lot of faith, and I know I've talked about Jesus uses the example of the size of the seed of a mustard for the amount of faith that we need. It's not the amount of faith, and again, Bill Johnson, I'm sorry I'm quoting him a lot, but I've learned a lot from him in this area. You don't need a lot of faith. You just need to know who to come to. And we see that in Jairus' life. He knew who to go to. He knew who to go to. That was his act of faith. Jesus took this girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, get up, little girl. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. Her parents were absolutely overwhelmed. You can get a glimpse of that. You can begin to imagine. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone what had happened, and he told them to give her something to eat. Jesus not only raised this little girl from the dead, but he fixed the original problem in the first place with whatever caused her to die. Give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. Amen. Don't be afraid. Keep trusting. Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. Keep trusting me. In Hebrews chapter 1, the first couple verses, a little phrase that encourages us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix our eyes on Jesus. See, that's what faith is, is just looking to Jesus. I may not have all the answers. I don't know why some people are healed and some people aren't. It's not a formula. All I know that he, Jesus is the healer and he's the one we need to go to. And when people start drifting away from keeping our, their eyes focused on Jesus and continue to look at him, it's your and my job as brothers and sisters to say, hey, keep, keep looking. I don't know. But all I know is that we need to keep looking at Jesus. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep in that place of faith and trust in Jesus. Because if an answer is going to come, it's going to come from that direction. Amen? Turn your eyes away from other things. Close your ears to other things. Even the bad news, even sometimes the facts will pull you away from that place of trusting in Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. Jesus got in Jairus' face and was saying, keep your eyes fixed on me. Not on what others are saying about your daughter. Not on what others will say about your daughter. Just keep trusting me. Keep trusting me. 
And you know, when we find that place of trust, there's a place of rest, there's a place of peace. It's not striving, it's not trying harder, it's not trying to have more faith or trying to work ourselves up. There's just this place of, of, of peace that comes when we keep our eyes fixed on him and say, Jesus, I don't understand anything, but I'm just going to keep my eyes right there locked on you. What comes out of your mouth is what I'm going to believe. And if it stands in contradictions to facts, I'm going to keep listening to you until the facts change. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. I'm going to ask Dave to come and and to just lead us in some uh, music and then, and then some worship. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. And um, in a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. But I'm actually going to ask you, if, if you're in need of a healing or a miracle this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you're comfortable with people gathering around you and praying for you, and one thing we do as people of God, based on the directive of Scripture, it says to lay hands on the sick. And there's a lot to that, but one of the things is just identifying with the person. It's that, it's that touch that says, I'm with you. And that's one of, the, one of the reasons why we lay hands on people. And so if you're here this morning, you'd be all right with that. I'm going to ask you to stay seated and everybody else to stand. And then in a few moments after that, I'm just going to ask people to shuffle where they need to shuffle to find people who are seated. And we're going to pray. We're going to turn this place into a massive prayer meeting. And we're going to ask Jesus to come and show up this morning. He's already here. He's already here. But to show the power of the kingdom in people's lives by the transformation of their lives. And again, if that's you and you're in need of a miracle or healing, your act of faith is actually staying sitting and saying, I, I just, I don't know, but I trust Jesus and just look to him. And then we're just going to encourage others to gather around you and just to speak that word of faith and encouragement over you to see a miracle come. Amen? So could we stand this morning as we close? And if you're here and you need a miracle or you need a healing, you just stay seated if you want people to pray with you. All right?